this morning. Jonah chapter number one, wanted to do a, just take a minute and mention some of those things. I think it's important. Uh, you know, listen, there is, there's no, yes. There's one more thing I wanted to say in that. Go for Anybody's it. Anybody's thinking about going and they think, well, we've been married so long, we don't need that. We had couples that had been married three months yep. and 62 years. Yep. Yep, there was an incredible diversity of, of ages there. It was it was really awesome, um, and so there was somebody for everybody to connect with. It was a great great marriage conference, and there's nothing more important that you can invest in in your life than your marriage. Okay, you know, outside of your relationship with God, there is no relationship that's more important than your marriage. And so I'd encourage you to do everything that you can uh, to, to try to be there next year. Jonah chapter number one is where we are this morning. Jonah chapter number one. And if you want some of the inside stories, you'll have to go to some of the people that went there and asked them uh, after the service. And I'm sure they can fill you in on a few things that uh, uh, were kind of the inside track on things. All right. Uh, Jonah chapter number one is where we are. Now, last week, we started into the book of Jonah. We began into it and we saw God's command to Jonah to go to Nineveh. And we saw that because of not necessarily a fear for the city or the people of Nineveh, but according to chapter number 4, verse number 2, that he didn't want to go because he wanted to be the one that determined who should receive God's mercy. He wanted to be the one that, that made the determination of who should receive it. And he determined in his mind that Nineveh did not deserve the mercy of God. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to experience God's grace. He didn't want them to experience God's forgiveness. He knew God was long-suffering and gracious and merciful. And he said, I don't want them to experience because they're a wicked, evil people. They're enemies of my country. He wanted them to face God's judgment. So Jonah had jumped on a boat, jumped on that ship. He was headed uh, down to Joppa, jumped on the ship, headed to Tarshish. We talked last week about how Tarshish was considered at that point in time, really, the end of the world, the end of the earth, the edge of the earth. I mean, from there, it was ocean, and they had not sailed across the ocean at this point. So this was as far away from where God told him to go, 2,500 miles away from, from the town of Nineveh, from the city of Nineveh, is where Jonah was trying to flee to, flee free flee to to escape from the presence of God. And it was there in the midst of Jonah's disobedience and fleeing that we're going to come to the passage this morning. As we get started, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we're going to dive beginning at verse number four. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give us to open your word. I ask now that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would already, Lord, I pray that you have ministered through the music and through the testimonies. God, I pray now that you would begin to minister to our hearts through your word in a powerful way. I pray, God, that each and every one of us, God, would open ourselves up to what you desire for us to receive this morning. I know, God, what we're going to talk about, God, it's going to be touchy. It's going to be something that's going to be a little uncomfortable at times, but God, it's something that's so vital in our life. And I pray, God, that there'd be some here that have gotten comfortable in their Christian life, that they would wake up this morning and get stirred up for you. God, I look forward to what you're going to do. I pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen. As we come in the book of Jonah, chapter number one, to verse number four, I want you to read those first three words with me. Those first three words, okay? Ready? Begin. But the Lord. But the Lord. Last week, we, we mentioned that throughout the book of Jonah, there are numerous moments 
where characters of the book were headed in one direction, and then God stepped in, and everything changed. Jonah He's on this boat headed for Tarshish, uh, over 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. But then we come to verse number four, and we read those first three words, but the Lord. The story of Jonah would be very different if it weren't for those three words. The story of Jonah would be very different if it wasn't for verse number four. This was a moment in Jonah's life. That he would look back on for the rest of his life for years to come and see where God stepped in. In fact, we believe because of some of the intimate nature and the stories and the things that are brought up, especially when he's in the, the belly of the whale, that this book is actually recorded, actually written by the one who the book is named after, Jonah. And so as Jonah is penning penning these words, you can almost hear him. He's writing from a third person, writing about himself. And he says, listen, I was on the way to get as far away from God as I could. I was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. I didn't want anything to do with him anymore. I was running as far and as fast as I could. But the Lord. Oh, praise God for those moments when God's mercy steps in. His mercy and His grace that pursued Jonah. Last week we mentioned that so many times we think of the book of Jonah as the story of Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale. And yet the whale is only mentioned four times in three verses. It's not about Jonah and the whale. No, in fact it's not even about Jonah. It's about God's mercy. The entire book is about God's mercy. And in this verse we see the mercy of God as God steps in Jonah's life. God was not content to stand by and watch His servant throw his wife away. As he went to the ends of the earth and lived out his days for himself. No, Jonah was pursued passionately, fervently, by a merciful and gracious God. Oh, listen, I'm I'm so thankful that I serve a God that loves me, that cares about me. Yes, He is holy, He is righteous, He is just. We'll talk about all of those things in the days ahead. But listen, friend, don't forget, He is also love. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 8, He that loveth knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. God is love, and in His love, He sent Jesus Christ in the flesh to come to the earth for you and for me. Oh, we mention this verse almost every week, it seems like. But I, listen, I hope, you don't get, I hope you don't get over it. I can't get over it. This verse is so powerful. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8. But... God, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, friend, we were on our way to a lake of fire. In and of ourselves, that's exactly where we would have ended up. Each and every person in this room had no hope in and of yourself. But God, he loved you so much. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to pay for your sins. Even while you were a sinner, Christ died on that cross. Praise God he didn't just leave you where you were. 
Praise God He didn't just let you go off on your own and do your own thing. But God put situations and moments in your life that brought you to a moment, to a situation, to a time where you recognized that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. And if you've never done that before, if you've never come to that point, then listen, that's exactly why God brought you here this morning. Is God wants you to have a but God moment. Where God finally gets a hold of your life and gets a hold of your heart and points to you and says, listen, you're going the wrong way. And if you keep going the way that you're trying to do, go do it all on your own. You're going to end up in a lake of fire for all of eternity. But God commendeth his love toward you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. But don't miss this. After you accept Christ as your Savior, he doesn't just leave you to do life on your own. Salvation is not the end of it. We, we are, do not have uh, teach deism here, okay? The Bible does not teach deism in which God created all things and then He simply lets go and He simply watches from afar and has no interaction in our life. No, 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 no. God is involved in our life. God wants to have a part in your life. God not only saves you, but He loves you and He desires to guide you. Matthew 28, verse number 20. Teaching them. To observe all things before Jesus ascends into heaven. I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I wonder if he thought of Jonah. Even to the end of the world. Oh, listen. He said, no matter where you go, I will walk with you. John chapter number 16, verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, Jesus says. He will guide you into all truth. He says he's going to lead you to do what's right, to do what's pleasing unto the Father. In Galatians chapter number 5, we have that wonderful verse in verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen friend, if we are, are following God, God desires for us to walk with Him, to walk by Him, to walk in His Spirit. And as we walk in His Spirit, He will help us not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He will help us not to go and run off to the edge of the world and the edge of the earth he will help us to remain faithful and have a life that's pleasing to him and can i tell you this when you are walking in the spirit i'm just going to tell you right now you will have a better marriage when you are walking in the spirit you will be a better father a better mother a better son a better daughter when you are living your life by the spirit of god he will help you. He would guide you to keep you from, from falling, from failing. Now, I love the Bible, what the Bible, the promise that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And it is a promise. He says, there hath no temptation taken you, no trial, no, 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 no temptation of sin, but such is common to man. But God is, fa- there, there it is, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be, may be able to bear it. He says, no matter what trial you face, that's what temptation literally means there. It means what trial you are going through in life, no matter how much suffering you may face, no matter how, how much temptation in the way of sin you may face. He says, God will make a way, but God will intervene. He always does. He always Always will. But so often we don't look for it. We don't want it. And we resist it. I've shared many times here my testimony, uh, especially in the, the years uh, leading right up to becoming the, the pastor here at, at Whitehall Baptist Church. And 
you know, we were going through a kind of a difficult time. We'd been, I'd been traveling in evangelism for a number of, of years, and, and we'd been preaching, traveling all over the place, and, and I could just sense that God had something on the horizon, that He was going to change our ministry. He was going to change some of the directions of our life. And, and as I prayed, God, what do you want us to do? And we just wanted to stay faithful doing what God had called us to do until he opened that next door. That's a good thing to do. And when, when you don't know what God has for you, and maybe you sense that God has something coming up, what do you do? You keep remaining faithful until God leads you on. I'm thankful. I know we, we already mentioned, Brother Ken, this is his last Sunday, and, and it breaks my heart. Ken, you make me want to cry, and if it, if it would make you stay, I would. But anyway, uh, but you know, I, but, I mean, I'm thankful that when he knew that he was going up to Alaska, he didn't just say, oh, well, I guess I'll just stop coming to church until, you know, I go up to Alaska. I'm thankful. He stayed faithful. Listen, uh, I, 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 we were in that place where we were just trying to stay faithful and do what we thought God wanted us to do, and I'll never forget. I mean, we were going to, through this time, and all of a sudden, meetings just begin to cancel and to close, just different situations begin to happen, just unusual things, and all of a sudden, I found myself at a place where we had no meetings scheduled, nothing really in front of us, nothing really to, okay, this is clearly direction you're supposed to go. And I'm kind of sitting here going, God, I thought you called me. I thought you, you wanted me to preach the gospel. I thought that's what you called me to do. And, and you have, have rem- not just, just stopped, you have removed opportunities to preach God. And I'm sitting there going, God, what are you doing? In fact, uh, and I've shared it before, There, I, I was there uh, one night in our garage and I was doing some work and things like that. And I, me and God were just having it out. And, you know, it was like, I was just, what are you doing? You know, I mean, like, it, there's sometimes whenever, I mean, when you really pray, it doesn't sound flowery. Okay, this is what I've learned in my life is, is when you're really praying, you're really talking to, to God, it, it's not a flowery thing, okay? I mean, some of those sincere prayers sometimes are like, God, what is going on? I mean, what are you doing here? I don't understand. And I mean, when you really go through something or you really have a need, you, you kind, of, kind of surpass the formalities of the, oh, gracious Heavenly Father. And, and I mean, like, yes, He is gracious. He is our Heavenly Father and all those things. But I mean, when you are really trying to get a hold, hold of God, it, you pray differently, now I remember I was out there and I was just, God, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do your will. And, and you've closed every door. You haven't opened another one. And, and I mean, I thought you were opening this one and then it slammed shut. And I thought maybe this one, and then it slammed shut. And I, I don't know what you're doing. And I remember I looked and I said, God, I said, maybe you're done with me. I said, maybe you're done. And, and in that moment, I said, Maybe I've preached my last message. I'll never preach another message again. I mean, I was just, I was to the point, I was just like, you know what, okay, fine. If you're done with me, then I quit. I mean, that's, that's how I, I felt like Jonah, okay? I mean, I was ready to go to the end of the world. And uh, I'll never forget that night, I just, I put, I put my earphones in and I listened to a message and the preacher, his name was Kurt Skelly, and he preached a message on learning to preach to yourself. And the message was, was based out of the passage where, where David and his men had gone to, to, to win the battle and, and, and then the enemy had circled in behind, stole their families and went off with them. And now David's wives have been stolen, his family's been stolen, and all the families of those that with him had been stolen and so now all the men that are following David are rising up against him and I mean like they're talking about should we just kill him you know and David had nobody I mean he was he was kind of by himself and the Bible says and David encouraged himself in the Lord and I'm listening to this message and I'm telling you it just God used it what a novel thought he used his word to encourage me and I'll never forget standing there in that garage and saying God I I don't understand, 
but I just don't think you're done with me yet. I mean, it just all of a sudden, and, and, and I'm telling you, it was just, you know what it was? In that garage for me, it was a but God moment. It was a moment where I said, you know what? I quit, I'm done, but God in my life came in and said, here's a way of escape. Here, here's, here's an avenue. Here's, here's something. I'm just going to give you something. I'm not going to show you everything. I mean, at that time, Pastor Terman was still pastoring here. I had no idea that they were leaving. I mean, none of it. But he just gave me just enough. He just said, Kyle, I'm going to give you this. But God, he loved me so much, he just gave me that little nugget that said, okay, I'll keep on, I'll keep on trusting you. I'll keep on, keep on going. Jonah had a but God moment. That moment where everything changes. Where God stepped in because in his love he wasn't content just to allow Jonah to throw his life away. And maybe you're here today and you are ready to throw in the towel. Ready to quit. Maybe, maybe you hear the, the story about the, the marriage and, 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 and I mean, it, it, Clayton stands up and he, he talks about, I mean, uh, you know, how God spoke to him this week and, and all these things. And, and maybe some of you are here this morning, you're like, we didn't go or maybe we did. And, and you're sitting there going, well, that's not what happened to me. And I just think we should, I'm just so done. I just throw in the towel. Listen, this is your butt God moment. God doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want you to throw in the towel. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just, I mean, honestly, you get to that place where in your Christian life, you just don't know what to do next. And, and you're just kind of sitting there going, God, what in the world's going on here? I mean, it seems like everything's falling apart. And every time I try to do this, I mean, it's that door closing, this door closing. God, I don't know what's happening here. Listen, friend, don't quit. Because maybe this morning God has sent this message for you today. To help you to escape that temptation, that trial of quitting, of walking away from God. We ask God to open your eyes and your heart and see the but God moment that He's putting right in front of you today. God loves you so much that He will intervene in your life, in your situation, to try to get you back on track. He will not force you, but He will do everything that He can to try to get you to be on track for Him. Now listen, the next part of verse number four is something that we don't often like to think. And maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking about stepping off track. Maybe you've already started on that road. Don't miss this next part. Verse number four again, the Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Listen to the first part of verse number five. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Isn't it interesting? God, I mean, they're on a ship, so it would have been sense for God to send a parrot, I feel, uh, to fly in and land on Jonah's shoulder and, and tell him, Jonah, you're going the wrong direction, okay? I mean, I feel like that would be appropriate given that they were on, on a ship, but that's not what happened. God, God didn't have a fish pop out of the water and, and speak to Jonah. Now listen, he spoke from a donkey, used a donkey one time to speak. Why? I mean, he could have very well used a fish to pop out of the water and get Jonah's attention and say, Jonah, what are you doing, okay? I mean, he could have done that. Instead of the whale swallowing him, the fish swallowing him, could have popped out and said, Jonah, you're going the wrong direction. That could have happened, but that's not what God did. What did God do? God sent a massive storm. That this storm, it was so big, the Bible says the, the mariners immediately knew that it was of divine proportions. 
They immediately knew that this wasn't a normal storm. The, the, the fishermen that were on this boat were most, most likely uh, Ph- Phoenician fishermen, which this was their trade. They were known for their ability to, to steer their ship, to, to be able to navigate the waters in ways that others weren't able to. Listen, they were like the Olympic athletes of the day. I'm just telling you. I mean, these guys had incredible ability. And the Bible tells us that they were afraid. What that tells me is that this was not a storm like anything that they had experienced before. In fact, they were so afraid that the ship begins to see and they start tossing everything they can overboard. Just trying to keep the ship above water. And God sent it to get Jonah's attention. But don't miss it. In God's grace to get Jonah's attention, other people around him were affected. These verses are a word of caution to us. Because while it was Jonah that was running from God, the storm was meant to impact Jonah. The truth is, is it had an impact on those around him as well. And understanding that when you flee from God and from his plan, try to do your own thing, try to find your own way of doing things, turn your back on God, or even just say, you know what, God, I think I'm going to take a break and do my own thing. Understand this, those around you will be affected as well. The Bible tells us that Abraham, he left the land of Canaan in a famine. The land of Canaan was God's will for his life, and he left the land of Canaan because a famine had come. And the Bible tells us that he went down to Egypt. It's always interesting. It, it always seems like when somebody leaves the will of God, they always go down in the Bible. But yeah, that's an interesting study. But he went down into Egypt, and Egypt was a picture of the world. So, so he leaves Canaan, and he goes down, down to Egypt. And, and, and when he went down to Egypt, he took a number of people with him. He took, obviously, Sarah, his wife, who he called his sister. That's kind of a crazy story. Uh, but, but he also took with him, uh, obviously, his servants with him. But he took somebody else with him that, that really, he isn't even mentioned in the time when they're in Egypt. But we know that he was there with him. He, he took Lot with him. Now, the, the story basically goes, I mean, he, he gets there, Abraham gets there, and, and, and when he gets there, on the way there, he looks at his wife Sarah and says, Sarah, why don't you pretend to be my sister so they don't kill me and then take you? And, and so they get there, and, and sure enough, uh, they, they believe him, oh, Sarah's so beautiful and all this, and so they take Sarah, and, and then Pharaoh, God gives Pharaoh a dream, and Pharaoh realizes that, that Sarah is, his, is Abraham's wife, and he comes to Abraham and says, what in the world are you doing? God would have killed me, okay? I mean, like, that's, that's what happens. And, and so finally he says, get out of here. Go, go your own way. And he, he, sends, he sends Abraham out and he sends Sarah out and with all of their, their, their cattle and all of their servants. And, and, and Lot goes with them. The Bible tells us they make it back to Canaan. And, and, and Abraham, I believe, gets right with the Lord there. And, and while they're there, suddenly one day they're out there. And, and, and Abraham's out there and Lot's out there. And, and they're herdmen. They got too much stuff there, Okay. There's, there's too much, too many things is what they have. They, they're, they're herdmen. They don't have enough grass for, for both of their, their, their herds. And so Abraham comes to Lot and he says, Lot, he says, I've got a proposition for you. I've got a, let's, let's make a deal here. He says, listen, he says, you, you can look out here. And he said, you can see this part and you can see this land over here. And he said, said, Lot, whichever side you choose, I'll take the other. He said, I'm giving you first choice. You get to choose which, which side that you want. You, you can, if you go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. You choose the left, I'll go to the right hand. Whatever you choose, I will go the other 
direction. And so Lot steps up and, and he looks. And, and, and listen to what he says in, in Genesis chapter number 13, verses 8 and 9. Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between uh, thee and me and thee, and between my herdman and thy herdman, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt depart from the right hand, thou wilt go for the left. And, but listen to what the Bible says in the next verse. Lot lifted up his eyes. And beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he looked at the land. He said, man, look at this Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at this land of Jordan. Even as the garden of the Lord, don't miss this next part. Like the land of Egypt, so thou comest into Zoar. Lot looks over, and, and, and listen, he sees this land, and right away in his mind, it reminds him of some place. Right away, he's reminded of, of a certain location. Man, that over there, that looks a lot like, like Egypt. Oh, and I liked Egypt. You know, I'm not giving Lot an excuse by any stretch of the imagination. Lot was his own person. He could have made his own decisions. And Lot made a continual progression of bad decisions that led to the destruction of his entire family. It's a very sad, sad story. But what I am going to say is this. What if Abraham had never went to Egypt? What if he had never left Canaan? What, What if he would have stayed where God told him he was supposed to be? Oh, but there was a famine that came. It was a hard time. It was a temptation, a trial. What did he do? He said, well, I mean, it's probably not forever, but just for a time, we're going to go visit Egypt. When he left the land of Canaan for Egypt, it affected more than just him. Moms, dads, young people this morning, listen. Your decisions affect so much more than just you. When you choose to step away from the things of God, from following God, when you choose to go off and do your own thing, to make your way to Tarshish, when you run from God or, or you say, you know what, I'm just going to take a break from being where God wants me to be in Canaan. I'm just going to go over here and spend some time in Egypt. Listen, friend, you are not the only one that is affected. So many times the devil tricks us into believing that this sin, our sin, our decisions will only impact me. But understand this morning that your decisions are going to impact not only you, but the rest of your family and those that are around you. I have watched the family of my best friend growing up. I watched their hearts break as his dad walked away from God, his wife, and his family. He just decided he was done with it, that he wanted something different, and he walked away. And I watched as his family just crumbled, just broken. I watched as as my pastor that I grew up with committed adultery and, and then I watched as his family fell to pieces completely against everything that they had been taught in the scriptures. Story after story could be told of families that are broken today because someone decided to step away from God's plan and the rest of the family got caught in the storm. Church, can I encourage you this morning? Don't become a sermon illustration. 
Okay, listen, don't, don't, don't become an illustration that somebody else looks back to and says, I remember when so-and-so was here, but now, man, they just wanted some Egypt. They, 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 they just wanted to head to Tarshish. They just wanted to get away, and they fled away from God's will. And, and listen, friend, can I tell you this morning, the grass on the other side of the fence, it might just be astroturf. Just because it's greener doesn't mean it's any better. Listen to the voice of God when the Holy Spirit speaks. Hear God's word when it's preached from the pulpit here. And respond to his leading. Don't run from God and end up a statistic. God was so gracious. He stepped in when Jonah got off track. But to get his attention, he had to send a storm. And that affected those around Jonah. And this morning, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Kyle, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I, I really don't identify with this. Then listen, friend, just wait. Because no matter where you are or who you are, storms come, famines come. And it's in those times that we take our eyes off of Christ and we start to think, maybe it would be better if I just visited Egypt for a little while. If I just took a break, if I just walked away. Finally, this morning, we, we find really probably the saddest part of this entire story of Jonah. And that's in verse number five, the last part there. We find that Jonah was comfortable in the storm. While, while all the mariners were, were afraid for their lives and they're throwing things overboard and, and they're crying out to their little G, God's trying to escape this storm. Listen to what the Bible says there at the last part of verse number 5. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. It's in this moment that we, we see just how far Jonah had gotten from the Lord. Listen, in the midst of a terrible storm with waves crashing all around him, running from the presence of God, Jonah was in the bottom of the ship sleeping. Jonah was, was called to be a prophet of God. Uh, God had used Jonah to proclaim his message. We heard that last week as he preached a message from God to the king. And now Jonah was not only rebelling against God. He wasn't just running from God's presence. Listen, this is the dangerous part. He had reached the point that he was comfortable in his life outside of God's plan. Without God's presence. And that's a very dangerous place to be. The story of the church at Laodicea is a, is a familiar story. If you, hear, if you hear, oh, the church at Laodicea right away, our, our minds would go to, okay, I, I, even if you don't know the Bible, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you hear Laodicea, okay, that's, I think that's in Revelation. Uh, that's, 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 uh, yeah, 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 that's, that's where it is. It's in the book of Revelation. In fact, it's the last church, the last group that, that Jesus speaks to in Revelation chapter number three. He goes through it, and, and he speaks to all these different churches. He starts with, with Ephesus, and he says, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love, okay? I mean, he starts there, and, and then he works through, and he goes through all these churches, Thyatira, and and uh, Smyrna, and, and, and Philadelphia, and he goes through all of these churches, okay, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay, it was a different Philadelphia, all right? but he goes through, and he, he preaches to all of these churches, and he gets to the last one, he says, the church of the Laodiceans, okay, the church of the people's rights is, is literally what it means, and we won't go too deep into this, but, but they're mentioned in Revelation chapter number three, La Laodicea was a city that was built at a major crossroads, all trade 
going, going anywhere really would come through the city of Laodicea. They were known for three major things. First of all, they were known for their black wool that they would make clothing with that was of a superior quality. I mean, it was just the finest that you could get, the best that you could find. They were, they were known for their medical industry. The Laodicea had a medical school that was the renowned medical school of its day. It was on cutting edge and, and, and because they had these specialty salves, salves and, and, and ointments that they would use. I mean, they were really just the pinnacle of the day when it came to the medical industry. And the third thing that they were known for, they were, they were known not just for their wool, their, I mean, beautiful black wool and, and for their medical industry, but they were known for their money. I mean, they were known for, they were the center of the currency exchange and money lending. If you needed a loan, you went to the bank, the first, first bank of Laodicea, and you got a loan there, okay? So you can mark it down that First Baptist Church of Laodicea was doing pretty good. At least that's the way that they looked. I mean, I'm telling you, you would drive down the street and you'd look up, and I mean, the buildings were just absolutely incredible, just magnificent. I mean, the preacher stood up there in a shiny suit. He probably wore a microphone just like this. And, uh, and he'd stand up there, and, and, and I mean, and he would speak, and it was just, I mean, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was like poetry. I mean, just incredible every week. And, and then you'd walk outside, and you'd see all the beautiful chariots filling the parking lot. They were the latest models, you know? I mean, they were just the very, very best that you could get. They were like the 100 AD edition, okay? I mean, just, just absolutely, absolutely Gorgeous, but we know from the scriptures they had a problem. In Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 15, it's familiar verses. The Lord speaks to them. He says, you got got all these things, and you got all this stuff, and you think you're doing so good, but he says, I know thy works. You're not cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. He say, so then because thou art lukewarm and either cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Can I tell you what happened? They, they had everything, and it had brought them to a place where they felt comfortable with where they were. I mean, isn't it true in our lives? I mean, when do we come to God? We come to God when we have a need. I mean, like whenever we're, when we're hurting, when somebody's sick, we come, God, will you heal them? I, I mean, like whenever we're dealing with financial problems, God, will you, will you just provide? I mean, whenever, whenever you're going through a situation in your life and your marriage is on the rocks, I mean, you come to God and you say, God, will you please just heal my marriage? But when things are going well, it's like, yeah, I mean, we're doing pretty good. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't have the newest model chariot outside, but I mean, like, it's a pretty nice one. I mean, that's, that's the way that we are. And God says, your comfortability... This, this lukewarm Christianity that's like, oh, yeah, everything's good, everything's just right, and, and, and I don't really need anything else. And yeah, I'll come to church on Sunday morning because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing you're supposed to do. And, and uh, you know, and after all, preacher, his shiny seat's so nice, and, you know, and all this. And, and, and it's like, it, and he says, you're making me sick. I mean, you make me want to throw up. That's what he says. I mean, God's very graphic. And then he goes on to say this in verse number 17. Because thou sayest, now this is the key here, okay? The whole key of this passage is is those three words. Because thou sayest, they they have professed themselves. They uh, they have self-diagnosed themselves. I'm rich. 
I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Oh, we, listen, we're just, doing, we're just doing great. The money's rolling in. Everybody's healthy. I got my beautiful black wool coat. I mean, like everything is just, just, just right. And he says to him, you think you have need of nothing, but you know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, like he just tears into him. I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with Isab that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God says, you think that you are rich with all your banks and your money? But in reality, you're poor. You, you think you're clothed with your beautiful black wool coat, but, but I see you clearly how you really are, and you are naked in front of me. I see it clearly. You think that you can see clearly because of your medical institute with the salves and the ointments? But in reality, you are blind. You've grown so comfortable and content in your life that you've drifted away from me and don't even realize it. And listen, that's convicting enough. Like we just stop right there. Some of you are like, yeah, good. Good call. Okay, listen. But listen, don't, don't miss this. Because he doesn't. There's another verse here that, that oftentimes gets pulled out and used to preach other messages that are different from this, but these go together. Listen to what he says in the next verse, because it is, it's, it's the key. <clears throat> verse number 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. God, listen, listen to what God says. He says, you have removed yourself from my presence. You have put me on the outside of your life because you think you're good. You think that you're, you're doing all right. You think everything's comfortable and you don't need to change anything. And he says, you put me on the outside. And listen, I'm here knocking and saying, let me back into your life. Stop just being comfortable. Wake up. I'm trying to get a hold of you. I've got something that I've got a plan for you. Hey, Jonah, you're in the bottom of the ship asleep. And it makes God sick. If we can learn a lesson from Jonah this morning, I hope you don't miss this final part. The sad truth is that there are many Christians who have become comfortable living life without God's presence. Comfortable in your sin. Comfortable in your lifestyle that you've deemed as good enough. Comfortable just going through the motions in the Christian life. And maybe God is trying to get your attention, even this morning, but you're missing it. Not because you're asleep in the service, okay, but because you're asleep spiritually. Yeah, everything looks good, but you've fallen asleep spiritually. And you don't even realize how far away from God you've become. When Tress and I had the opportunity this last year, we'll be quick, but we, we went to, got to go to Hawaii for our 10th anniversary, and it was, it was a special trip. 
and uh, we were able to go over there, just the two of us, and enjoy some time over there. And one of the things that we did while we were there, we had a, a number of things. We said, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do these things. And one of the things that we said we wanted to do is we wanted to go snorkeling. How many of you ever been snorkeling before? You know, some of you? Okay, cool. There's some of you. How many of you say that sounds absolutely terrifying? Okay. And snorkeling is different than, than scuba diving. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to fit a mask over you. It would never, yeah, it would never work for you. Uh, but, uh, you know, but uh, I mean, and so we thought, you know, we're, we're going to do this snorkeling thing. And so we went out and we bought a mask, just one of the cheap ones. And you got the mask and the snorkel and everything that, you know, the snorkel, it's, the mask is so tight. It feels like it's going to like squish your brains out, right? And, uh, and so, you know, we, and we went out there and it was incredible. Listen. You have no idea when you're in the ocean what's swimming between your feet. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And we, we put that mask on in the snorkel, and you looked underneath the water, and there are fish everywhere. It was like, holy smokes, this is crazy. And, uh, I mean, we were having a play, and we had one mask. Finally, because we're cheap, we had one mask, and so finally we broke down. We bought a second mask eventually, but, but we were out there, and, I mean, we're swimming around and stuff, and, I mean, you just, it, once you figure it out and you can breathe through that snorkel, I mean, you learn that you can, you can stay with your head down in the water for a while. And I mean, it was, it, we, we finally made our way to this one, this one beach. It was called Tunnels Beach, and it was really cool. I mean, like, the, all the coral and stuff, but there were, like, all these little pathways that you could kind of follow in between, because you weren't supposed to stand on the coral, but you could, you could go through all the little pathways, right? You could see everything that was swimming through there. And so I'm, like, uh, you know, we, we'd been doing this for a little while, and I got the mask on and the snorkel, and, and I'm swimming in between there and everything. And Tressa had gotten out for a little while. And she was kind of hanging out uh, up on the, the top and uh, on the beach. And so I'm, I'm just kind of out there by myself and just, I mean, it was so cool. I mean, like there, there was one point that we're out there and, uh, and I'm standing out there. It was just she and I was there and we're looking over and like, I thought there was a piece of trash in the water. It was a big blue piece of plastic, I thought. And, uh, and I didn't have the mask on. And I was like, Tressa, I was like, what is that? Can you see what it is? Is it a bottle or something? And she looked underneath and like 10 feet away, it was a fish like that big. I mean, it was massive. It was so, it's kind of scary, but it was really cool. And, uh, you know, right next to it was, was a red one. It was, it was, it was really awesome. There I am, I'm out there and I'm, I mean, I was out there for a while and I'm swimming around and, and like you, you go out and you just keep going out and you keep going and, and swimming and seeing fish and you're following them and seeing all these different things. And it's just super cool. And then all of a sudden there was like a, like it just, it just dropped off. I mean, like, I, I, you couldn't see, I mean, like, it's the ocean. You couldn't see the bottom. I mean, like, it just kind of went forever. I mean, like, I'll never forget. I mean, it was just this black hole that went down for a long time. And I'm, like, suspended out over it. And listen, I have a little bit of a fear of heights. And you don't think about it, but that comes into effect when you're doing this kind of stuff. I mean, like, you know, when I, if it's, like, 10 feet above me, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden, when it's, like, 1,000 feet, it's like, oh, oh. This is where the big fish live, you know? I mean, like, it was, it was scary. And, I mean, like, right away, like, I kind of, ooh, turned around, and I started paddling back to where I could feel safe again. I, I had no idea how, just how far I was getting. You know, as, you, as you're going, every once in a while, you'd pop your head up, and you'd look, okay, there's the beach, and, and that's how far away I am. But I'd been going for so long with my head down in the water, just kind of swimming around, that I didn't realize how far away from the beach I had gotten. And isn't that the truth in our life? We get our heads down just doing life. We get distracted by things. And you see a fish that you take off following, right? Just so you know, fish, it's not a real fish, okay? It's, it's something in life, right? And, and you take off and, and you, you get away from what God is telling you're supposed to do. And the next thing you know, whew, oh man. And then you pop your head out and you look over and you're like, wow, I had no idea I was this far away. 
from where I was supposed to be. Friend, this morning, let's learn a lesson from Jonah's life. Look at the life of, of, of Jonah. See him there in the belly of that ship, asleep. Comfortable with where he was. Maybe you're here this morning and you have become comfortable just doing your own thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't even realize it, but the decisions that you are making is affecting your family in a way that it's tragic. And maybe others can stand by and they can see it, but you have your head down in the water and you're just going, doing your own thing and you don't even realize it. But your, your decisions are affecting those around you. Friend, this morning, will you have a but God moment? Where God reaches down and just says, wake up. Hey, I've sent this into your life for a purpose. To get your attention. To get you back on track. And this morning, you can respond to him. Because he's gracious and merciful. And he wants to show you that grace and mercy. If you respond to him. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we finish up. At the end of our services here, we, we always have a time of what we call invitation. And really what it is, is an opportunity for us to respond to the word of God that has been preached. The Holy Spirit, when the word of God is preached, when the word of God goes for, forth, the Holy Spirit moves and, and, and works in our hearts. And when he works in our hearts, we have an opportunity a decision to either say, yes, I agree with what you are pointing out in my life that I need to get right. Or we can say, you know what? No, thanks. I'm good where I'm at. This morning, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, I hope that you'll respond to him. You say, Kyle, what does that look like? Do I have to do something? Do I have to stand up? Do I have to go somewhere? No, 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 friend. Listen, responding to the Holy Spirit is something that you can do right where you're at in your seat. Yes, you can come to an altar and you can do that. That's, that's what this is in the front. But you can do it right where you're at and you can pray and say, God, you spoke to me about this. You, you spoke to me about how I'm getting off track. You spoke to me about how you're trying to get my attention. God, you spoke to me about how I've just become comfortable. And God, I want to respond to you where I am. God, will you forgive me for this? And you do deal with it right there. And listen, God is there and he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you respond. He wants to help you to live your life for him. This morning, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, can I encourage you, respond to it. Respond to the Lord. Maybe you have fallen asleep spiritually this morning and he's trying to wake you up. Wake up this morning. Maybe he's on the outside and he's knocking. Hey, let him in this morning. The Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. Don't just go through the service and come to the end and say, you know what? Well, I'm good. Respond. Respond to him. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, if you're able, let's stand together as the music plays. Father, bless this day.